Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. You what? need to wash your hands after you use the restroom. Yes. Period. With Steve Cofield. I like messing with him, but he's got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> Adam Candy. This is gotcha journalism. You know what? They're not going to gotch me. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour. Cofield and Company. The draft is in town uh, less than 24 hours away. Actually, Exactly 24 hours from the uh, first pick. Whatever it is, 507, 503 tomorrow. The setup is uh, all put together at Bellagio and right there on Koval uh, behind the link and behind the Flamingo. We're fired up for it. I know Bart Scott is. He's been in the building on and off. He's doing work all over Las Vegas. Of course, he is the host of uh, Bart and Han and does a lot of uh, TV side work for ESPN. He gives us a couple minutes here. We will get to the big five in just a little bit. Bart, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, and yourself, man. I'm still stuck on the intro. Somebody's not washing their hands. What's going on, man? Uh, you know what? We during COVID, uh, we we came to the realization. You know, we don't need to shake hands anymore. And then uh, we come uh, out of COVID, and all all I'm doing now is shaking hands. I was just going to fist bump the rest of my life. Exactly. I tell you what. You know, I learned something from a very dumb friend of mine. It's like one of those things, those old commercials in the '80s. You can learn a lot from a dummy. So he yeah. told me that you should wash your hands before you use the bathroom. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, why would you want to touch your stuff after you have touched everything? That's supposed to be clean. So I wash before and after. Just, you know, just a little, you know, knowledge for the, for the public. But, you know, you can learn a lot from a dummy. That's like the, that. the, the only thing I've ever learned from them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that's not the case. Um, all right, so what do you think of Vegas so far for this setup? Oh, well, listen, Vegas always puts on a great show. I mean, I had no doubts about Vegas. I mean, I know every, you know, in this, in NFL is always, each city's trying to one-up each other. What a, what a great thing, right? You know, you talk about the draft, you know, the other drafts from other sports, you know, pale in comparison when you think about the NFL draft and what it does to a community. We have made uh, the draft equivalent to almost as much money that's generated for a town as Super Bowl. And, and that's a great thing. And it just shows you how, how bad the other sports are ran as far as the entertainment value is that football is king. Right, because you talk about we're going to talk about for four hours or five hours, however long it goes. Yeah, thirty-two picks, thirty-two picks. People walking up to a stage thirty-two times, yep. and that probably will be the highest-rated show of the year, uh, including like some most NBA playoff games. It's a freaking machine, man. It's a machine, and you know it's funny. The last couple of weeks, Bart. Uh, I kept hearing people say, uh, you know what, this draft isn't that exciting. I, I was fired up by it, man. I'm fired up. When you get a chance to get edge rushers, offensive linemen, cornerbacks right. near the top of the draft, I, I'm fired up for this thing. I mean, I think it's a lot of um, it's a lot of depth to this draft. And people ask, well, why is it a lot of depth? And why do we – we you usually get one great pass rusher or one you know, potentially franchise-changing uh, uh, pass rusher and receiver. You know, it's usually like one or two. You have you have a lot of depth this year, and uh, I tell you, we talked about Cole and we kind of joked about washing hands and shaking hands. Well, just consider that you know this draft is a lot deeper because a lot of these players are super seniors. A lot yeah. of players got to get another year because they opted out because of COVID, and they were able to get another year. So now you have a lot more people, a lot more depth 
in the draft this year than you would normally have in most drafts because of the super seniors. So if you, Bart Scott, are a personnel guy, you're a GM, you're picking out the top of the draft, do you want the more complete guy or do you want the guys with upside? Not saying Aiden Hutchinson doesn't have upside, but what's going on right now in your mind for the favorite to be the number one pick? Because on the betting boards, it's Trayvon Walker, but who would you take number one? Would you take Walker? Would you take Thibodeau? Or would you take Hutchinson? Well, for me, I think uh, probably the offensive linemen are the safest picks. This is one of the drafts where you don't really need the number one draft. I think you get the equal value at eight that you would get at one. And, mm. you know, it's a flip of a coin. It depends on Dillard's choices about what you're looking for for your particular system, what you're looking for for your team, and what you want to do and accomplish and how good your team is. I mean, you, oddly enough, Jacksonville picked first last year. Hopefully this is the last time in their sake, or they believe this is the last time they'll be picking one overall for a long time. And, uh, you know, hopefully they get it right. I mean, I think that, you know, you talk about trying to have a franchise quarterback that lived in dysfunction last year, and now you bring in Doug Peterson, who's supposed to be a quarterback whisperer. They spent a lot of money in the offseason. You know, Jacksonville could be the most um, singular influence in football this offseason. You think about the reason why the offseason has been crazy is because of what they've done with Christian Kirk, making a third-tier or you know not a top-ten receiver, one of the highest-paid uh, receivers in the game, through the entire league through a hoop. Made Devontae Adams, you know, be able to turn down a deal to get more guaranteed money, which made Tyreek Hill, you know, say, "Hey, I'm I'm worth more because Kansas City had a deal that he probably would have taken." Until they say, "If Christian Kirk's worth this much, I'm worth way more than Christian Kirk because I'm a much better player than Christian Kirk." And here we are, draft week, and they have an opportunity to kind of alter the draft for the entire offseason. We believe that Aiden Hutchinson was the singular best player and. Uh, the safest number one pick, and now you talk about you know the underwear Olympics and what Walker was able to do, and he's put himself in the conversation. And to me, you know, I, personally, I, I saw it. Aiden Hutchinson. I don't think that he's the, the best pass rusher in this game, but neither do I think is Walker. I mean, I think you can go all the way down to Jermaine Johnson the second and say, hey, he's the most complete because of Walker is all about potential. What you think you see and how he was utilized in that system that had a lot of slant, had a lot of talent. You, you would say if you, if you got arguably five first-round draft picks on that defense, why didn't you have more production? So you have to ask, do you like what, you, what he did as far as the numbers, what he did as far as production? If you like production, Jermaine Johnson, not only with the, the ACC Player of the Year, but he also gave you 70 tackles. So that means he's not just a guy that's just going to play the pass. He's a guy that's going to have a lot of productivity that way. That's why I think, you know, to me, a lot of teams secretly are happy that they're not in the first and second uh, position so that they can get arguably what they feel is the best football player and pass rusher. Bart, I would think you have a strong perspective on the idea of finished product versus unfinished product and when you are taking somebody up high because I mean, your own draft experience, you, you go undrafted, you sign uh, with the Ravens after that, and you, you work your way up from there into a successful career uh, in the NFL. Uh, take us through you know, what the experience was like for you leading up to the draft and then after that signing as a free agent. Well, for me, it was a different story, right? I got suspended 
kicked off the team as a junior. Uh, nobody really knew who I was. I was committed to Michigan State. I was supposed to go play for Nick Saban when he was a head coach of Michigan State. Antonio Gates was supposed to be my roommate. And um, fate had me take another turn. You know, they, they took my scholarship back uh, because I didn't pass my ACT. Took my ACT the second time, passed it, but they gave it away. They later offered it back, but then I ended up committing to Southern Illinois of all intents and purposes and uh, transferring and, you know, made all kind of, you know, made every award as a 17-year-old kid and decided to be a big fish in a small pond and then only to be suspended and looking for an opportunity in the Baltimore Ravens were the only team to show up to my pro day and came in as a guy that played four different positions throughout my college career and, you know, had to learn how to be the master of one first and bring all the other uh, skills I, I made. So, listen, that's the thing. It's a lot more fourth-round, fifth-round, sixth-round stars in this league. Of course, it's more of us. Um, but the league is made up of guys that you know are not first-rounders and a lot of guys that were undrafted free agents and guys who learn later or um, figure it out you know, earlier. And, you know, I, so it's a cautionary tale for teams that's picking now. Uh, anybody should be able to pick a first-round draft pick. So the fact that you hit on a first-round draft pick, congratulations, you did your job. You know, you can get, you know, you can get Bobo or uh, Shamu the well, and, you know, they can pick a player <laughs> out of all the people that's, you know, first-round talent. And they, you know, could have a, just as good of a percentage. You make your hay in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, that's where I'm excited because that's when the draft really starts, and that's when you um, separate the contenders from the pretenders. And guys like Ozzy Newsom, you know, who I respect a lot, uh, not just found me, but you know, found the, the tremendous players. Right? They never really had top picks. I mean, just imagine Ozzy Newsom's first draft ever. He drafted two Hall of Famers and Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden. You know, and you know he never missed in the first round. But you know, for every Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, Lodi Nada, Jamal Lewis, Todd Heap, uh, Jonathan Ogden, Lamar Jackson. You know, I can still name a, uh, a Delius Thomas. I can name a Sam Adams. You know, I can name, you know, numerous guys that nobody would even realize were six round draft picks and undrafted free agents that he found. And, you know, we, we're going to see, you know, what team, because these, these first rounders, you know, they're expensive labor, not as expensive as they used to be. But, you know, when you can get cheap labor to balance your books and get young productivity players that you can develop, that's how you win championships. That's how you have stand power. Bart Scott, former Baltimore Raven, former New York Jet, uh, joining us here on Cofield and Company with Candy and Cofield. Well, it's interesting you say that because I don't know – that Shamu would have done much worse than Gruden and Mayock did here for the Raiders in the first round. Uh, they yeah, were yeah, very I good. Mean, in the... It's not so easy to make the, make the uh, decisions. Anybody can talk stuff from behind a desk and be right yep. all the time. And you yep. got to do it itself. I mean, Colin Farrell, come on, man. You played yourself. <laughs> that they, that they did. They, hey, they weren't bad the fourth round and on. Like that's where they got Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro and so on. But you look at this Raiders franchise now. You see McDaniel's and Ziggler coming in uh, from the Patriots. What do you see as the as the state of the Raiders? And they don't have a pick till the third round in this draft. Yeah, I mean, but you know that's where they have to swing for the fences to be able to find productivity. I mean, you know, you want to find. I think this draft has a lot of depth. 
um, as far as you know the safety position. And let's see if they can continue to be savvy. Uh, you know how I'm looking at. It, I believe that maybe you know if the draft falls the way I believe that the Giants might end up you know drafting Ahmad Gardner. And if they draft Ahmad Gardner, that means James Bradbury is expendable. They need some corner help. Uh, you know, especially within that division with all the firepower that they're going to have to face. You know, maybe they can make a trade for for uh, Bradbury if they've left uh, enough money, enough powder to be able to absorb a contract that doesn't seem as expensive now that Ward has gotten paid. You know, and and the Giants are a salary cap hell as well. Uh, but it's a lot of value, and there's always good players that's going to fall um, that they can really you know take advantage of. And let's see if they're willing to mortgage the future even more. I mean, you, you heard you heard. Um, you know the the Rams forget those picks. Let's see if they you know everybody subscribing to the same model, right? Because we talk about fracking within this league, and you know everybody's the the flavor of the month, so to speak. Let's see if they can find some value there, and let's see if they can trade some future picks for present success. Because Josh McDaniels is second time around. Let's see if he can you know do a better job because you only get two opportunities in this league to be able to be a a leader of a franchise. Hopefully he's learned his lesson from what he did in Denver, and uh, he can be better. Hey, Bart, before we let you go, um, pick the shocker of the top ten. Does a wide receiver like Jamison Williams go in the top ten? Does Big Jordan Davis go in the top ten? Or does someone grab a quarterback in the top ten? I mean, I, I definitely won, you know, I, I believe, you know, uh, probably Stingley. I think Stingley, you know, I'm hearing that maybe Stinkley may go early. I mean, just think you got a lot of uh, habitual line steppers, you know, guys that are that do things and, and march to the beat their own drum. You know, that's great to be an independent thinker, uh, but a lot of teams make bad decisions. And they have a, a long history of it. Jacksonville was one at the top. The Lions are another one. I can remember the Matt Millen days where they drafted three receivers three years in a row, and five years later, uh, all of them was out of the NFL. So let's see. Let's see who somebody's going to be a cautionary tale, and somebody's going to end up losing their job and never get another opportunity because of this draft. Um, I'm excited to see who it's going to be. I mean, but if you're talking about Carolina, you talk about having a lot of pressure. Matt Rules made a lot of trans, uh, transactions, and you know billionaires are really impatient. Tapper has more money than anybody, and he may eventually just say decide to eat that contract that 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 Rule has and move on. And I think they have to swing for the fences. And he he um, he uh, recruited, I believe, uh, Kenny Pitts in college. And let's see if he thinks that he can do a good job for him and his team. But they have to find a quarterback. You know, Sam Darnold, eighteen point one million dollars. They thought they were swinging for the fences. I think the Jets are really happy that um, they gave him that second round draft pick. Yeah. It's going to be a premium pick this year. You know, and that's why the Jets have basically four first round draft picks because quarterbacks are going to get picked in the first round, and quarterbacks are not the top 35 players uh, players in this draft this year. Hey, Bart, we know you're busy. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, no problem. There he is, Bart Scott, the former Jet, the former Raven. We'll react to what Bart was saying there at the end about the shocker of the top ten, and we'll get to our big five. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Just before anyone asks any questions, nothing is weird. There's no negativity because it's just, this is, we've been working so hard, man. It's like, I, I've been playing football about a decade now. And it's like, you know, I was a kid and it's like to play for a decade and now 
finally make it to the NFL, it's like, bro, I don't care where I get drafted. I don't care what happens. It just got to happen. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Avon Thibodeau talking about some of the criticism and also, yeah, hey, where do you want to go? I mean, and I'm sure there are guys in the draft who are to a point where they're like, you know what, I'm tired of hearing about how my work ethic isn't great. Uh, let me just land somewhere and I'm going to show you what I can do. All right, big five time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Man, thank God for the NFL draft. Thank God for VGK. So many other things to talk about. We've barely hit on the circus that is the A's, but every couple of days something hits Candy and I where we're like, okay, what is going on here? And I knew Candy was seeing this yesterday. I'm watching on social media as this Dave Cavill guy, the president of the A's, He's developing into one of the weirder characters. Now, for the rest of the country, they have no idea what's going on. No one cares about the A's. They barely care about the A's in the Bay Market, uh, Bay Area Market. What, what, what was happening yesterday is he was going back and forth with Damon Bruce of 95.7. Um, the headline I read here, A's president starts Twitter beef with local radio host. Cofield, that was only part of it. That's how bizarre this day was with Dave Cavill, was he's in this beef with Damon Bruce talking about we'll have a debate over the Giants and the A's. And then he's also in separate fights with other people on Twitter who are talking about the Giants and the fact that the Giants had low attendance for their game yesterday. And Cavill is out there saying, oh, well, maybe the media will look into their marketing and why there isn't uh, more of a crowd there and so on with all of this snarky, tongue-in-cheek discussion basically trying to say, well, why don't you treat the Giants the same as you treat the A's? You don't have enough time for us to get into why don't they treat the Giants the way they treat the A's. Not even to begin with the championships, but the fact that their ownership group actually treats their fans like they give a damn. And that has not been the case in Oakland for a long time. So Cavill's going back and forth on Twitter with people and just looking small, just looking far from a team president. Mm-hmm. I was trying to imagine Kerry Bubbles from the Vegas Golden Knights or Dan Vantrelli from the Raiders or Mark Bedane before him getting on social media and sniping back and forth with fans, especially when the ownership group that he works for has given a giant middle finger to the fans over and over again. What did they do this year? They gutted the roster and they doubled the ticket prices. So is it a surprise when they have 3,300 people going into their sewage-filled stadium at the Coliseum? No, it's not. I don't understand anything about the approach the Cavill is taking here. I don't understand why he's going after local media. I don't understand why he's stooping down to the level of picking fights with people on social. And frankly, the only reason that we have any attention being paid to it right now in Vegas is he's got a willing mouthpiece in the media who's willing to keep putting his stuff out there. Number four. Which of these guys gets moved on the first day of the draft? These are odds that were in faraway places, are in faraway places. Who gets moved first round? Baker Mayfield, 2-1. to one. Jimmy Garoppolo, plus 250. Debo Samuel, 3-1. to one. A.J. Brown, 4-1. to one. D.K. Metcalf, plus 450. Any of, them get, uh, any of them get moved in the first round? 
first of all, those prices aren't nearly long enough to be attractive. Second of all, no, n none of them are moving. <laughs> Absolutely none of those guys are moving. Look, the Baker Mayfield thing is a complete standoff. Uh, our old buddy Mike Silver kind of laid out how the league feels about the Deshaun Watson contract and the fact that they're all looking the same way GMs have looked at the Vegas Golden Knights and said, oh, you got yourself into this. We're not getting you out of it. That's how, according to Silver, the NFL GMs are looking at the Browns like, oh, no, no, you have 18 million guaranteed on Baker Mayfield. You go ahead and sit down with a fork and knife and swallow every dry bit of that. <laughs> we are not helping you out of that situation. So, no, I, and I think the only one with a realistic shot is Debo Samuel. And if you believe what you've heard out of certain Bay Area media over the last 24 hours, they don't buy it. They don't believe Debo Samuel is going anywhere, even if the Jets have a godfather offer as some have put out there number three well let's talk about that offer potentially it could be the 10th pick a couple of seconds and a young wide receiver would you do that on either side i would do that if i were the san francisco 49ers in a straight up heartbeat because i think debo samuel is more valuable to the san francisco 49ers than he is to any other team in the league because of how they're willing to use him. Debo Samuel is not an elite wide receiver. Debo Samuel is an elite offensive weapon who has skills that Kyle Shanahan has been able to exploit in a way that makes it almost impossible for defenses to account for him. Now, now we're talking about a coach in LaFleur who comes from a similar tree with the Jets and might be able to take advantage of Debo Samuel in similar ways. But let me tell you right now, the Jets don't have the offensive personnel that the 49ers do to be able to take advantage of Debo Samuel's skill set. If I'm the Jets, I can get a one, multiple other picks, and a young play. Uh, if I'm the Niners, I should say, from the other side of that, and I can get that package for Debo Samuel because the Jets are also then going to have to pay Debo Samuel at the level that he wants to be paid and he shouldn't be paid at the level that a Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams is because he's not worth the, the way those guys are as wide receivers but I'm not do that in a heartbeat if I'm the Niners number two night second to last game of the season puck drops here in less than 10 minutes uh, now they've got to win out and they've got to hope that Dallas has the ultimate collapse in the history of hockey in this back and forth you know following this whole playoff race thing ultimately were we just kind of wasting our time if this team makes the playoff can playoffs can they do anything can they yes will they no they won't and everybody held out for this all year long cofield right we all held out for the healthy vegas golden knights lineup well you know what you've got you have a healthy lineup minus riley smith right now you have a goaltender in Logan Thompson who is playing at the level that you thought Robin Leonard or Marc-Andre Fleury would play at. And they lost a must-win game against the Sharks. They lost a must-win game against the Stars. And they lost two very different must-win games, right? The Sharks scored two goals in the last minute of the game and then one in a shootout. So the Golden Knights scored four goals against a bad team. Hallelujah, the Golden Knights are scoring goals with their full lineup back. Looked like what everybody wanted out of them. And then the defense collapses. All right, so you come into the game against Dallas and you say, huh, look at this. The Golden Knights are actually playing a pretty tight checking game. They weren't turning the puck over in their own zone. Okay, this is the formula for what we thought it was going to be for the Golden Knights to win. They're playing a really solid defensive game. And then the Stars played a better version of it. And they had a young star who scored two goals in the game and put them in position 
frankly, once it got to overtime, I don't even care if they lost the shootout. The Golden Knights needed to win that game in regulation. They had a 2-1 lead going into the third. So you know what? Cofield, I haven't seen anything out of them with this healthier lineup. And I say healthier because I don't think Mark Stone is completely healthy right now, and I think that makes a big difference for this team. But I haven't seen anything out of them with this healthier lineup that suggests that they would make noise when you've got the Calgarys and Colorados of the world in the West. How about this angry fans read on the team? First of all, says team is trash, says Stone and Eichel contracts are laughable. They are not in any way laughable. Uh, Mark Stone makes nine and a half million dollars a year and was one of the best two way forwards in the league the last three years. Jack Eichel has only started to kind of show you what he can do. Look, if you appreciate the game of hockey and you've been watching the Golden Knights over the last two months with Jack Eichel, you can see just how damn good he is and just how much better he is when healthy than just about any player on the Golden Knights roster. So no, those contracts aren't laughable. You have a guy coming back from experimental surgery who is two months into his play, and you have Mark Stone, who if you want to call yourself a fan and you're watching this team regularly, the man is not himself. He is not fully healthy, and he's damn well not going to say it because he's a hockey player. Number one. So it feels like there's a ton to clean up here. There's miscommunication. Uh, you know, the goalie and the coach aren't getting along. Obviously, this goes back to picking one goalie over another. There was a whole salary cap thing trying to juggle that. We've heard about the buck stops here. There are expectations. There's accountability. Bill Foley's a tough guy. What kind of wrath of Bill do we see in the coming weeks? Oh, we damn well better see some George Steinbrenner stuff from Bill Foley. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think that the Golden Knights fans, as Justin alluded to earlier, they deserve to see things broken. They deserve to see windows smashed. They deserve verbal assaults. They deserve an owner in Bill Foley who doesn't hide behind the injuries who doesn't hide behind the bad bounces that the Golden Knights have gotten this year. They deserve an owner who we have heard privately for a long time is as demanding as any boss in professional sports of his organization. We need to see that out in public. I'm not saying heads have to roll. You think that this is the right leadership group in McPhee and McCrimmon? That's your organization. Yours to decide. But there need to be some clear standards for this team of what has to happen this offseason and what has to happen going forward. The fans deserve that. They deserve what the ticket prices they're paying. They deserve with the team that has this payroll to understand why Bill Foley is either okay with it or how he's going to change it because that is the standard that has been set from the top of the Golden Knights. What, what did we hear, Cofield? Cup and five? Cup and six? Well, what we're seeing is a team that has backslid. Now, Backslid from heights, multiple Western Conference finals, Stanley Cup final. That's as much as anybody could ask for. But you, you, Steve Cofield, have been the one out there at the front of this saying, not good enough. The standard has been set. And when you don't meet the standard, there have to be consequences. Hey, the boss said it himself as you just nailed it. Playoffs in three. All right. They got that done really early. Cup in six. Six is coming up. How do you do it? Can you do it with this group? Can you win a cup in six? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. D-Ball.
who has a tremendous amount of talent. He's seeing all these other receivers come up and get their bag. And I don't think some of these youngsters understand it took a little time for these guys. <laughs> they didn't just come out of college and a couple of years later they got their bag. They had to develop. But I don't blame him. His highest value is right now after what he did last season. And he's trying to maximize this moment. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Deion Sanders talking about Debo Samuel looking for a new deal. Draft goes down tomorrow through the weekend right here in Las Vegas. First pick tomorrow, a little after 5 o'clock. We'll be watching the first round of the draft at Silver 7, just down the road from the stage. Flamingo and Paradise. Uh, do not try to go through the intersection at Flamingo and Las Vegas Boulevard to come over. That's going to be closed. Flamingo uh, from the Boulevard to Koval will also be closed. So uh, try to take another way out to come see us. Happy hour starts at 3 o'clock, 277 on beers, margaritas, and shots. Two bars. The sports book is there, the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. So come and watch the first round of the draft with ESPN Las Vegas as we'll be at Silver Sevens. Tomorrow, uh, across the uh, way, I don't know what the hell that means, but uh, a short jaunt from Silver 7s is Caesars. And today, Q Myers, our guy on Raider Nation Radio 920, was hanging by the pool. He had a couple of good conversations, lots of good conversations. We're going to play a bunch of those tomorrow, but I wanted to build on a couple of convos he had today. He talked to Charles Davis, one of the analysts from CBS, and got into the fact that, well, right now, it doesn't look like any of the quarterbacks are going to go top five. They may not go top ten what does that mean about this quarterback class, Charles? Doesn't mean the quarterbacks in this class can't be stars down the road. Mm-hmm. I know many people think I'm really negative on this quarterback class. I'm not negative on the quarterback class. I'm just saying my evaluation of this year's class versus last year's class is not the same. Right. That's all. Yeah. Now we just got to see how they play. Mm-hmm. All right. Russell Wilson was a third round pick. Right. Facts. Okay. <laughs> right. Dak Prescott's a fourth round pick yeah. who blew it out. Right from his rookie year. Yes, immediately. Immediately. Yep. So so we never know, but you have to go off of your evaluation before you pick. That's why I'm saying right. I would take all the quarterbacks last year over the first one this year. Right. But, again, we'll see how it all plays out. Well, with your evaluations, what class or what positions do you feel like is a really deep position right now? Edge rushers okay. is going to be – I mean, we could go one, two, three right out of the gate right. if Houston goes with Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah. Because we're expecting Aiden Hutchinson and mm-hmm. – uh, Trayvon Walker to go right out of the game. Right. We'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Offensive linemen, we're going to get a run on tackles. Okay. And when I say run, definitely three. Mm-hmm. The fourth one probably going to be pinning. Right. And then we have to see if we could have Tyler Smith from Tulsa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, yeah. that could be it. At a certain point, we're going to get a run on receivers. Yeah. And that's going to start in the top ten. And right. there might be the tr- the first big trade up might be to, to make sure they get a receiver. Right. So we're going to get all those mm-hmm. cats come mm-hmm. off the board. And uh, at some point, people got to cover those receivers. Right. get a defensive back to run. Yeah. Especially at the corner. Mm-hmm. Although, safety position with Hamilton mm-hmm. from Notre Dame, he's going to go lower, maybe, than probably his talent should. Okay. But whoever gets him is going to get a jewel. Dax Hill from Michigan, I think, is going to find his way into the first round. But I think he's more of a corner than he is a safety. Okay. So we'll see how, see how he's evaluated as we go. Right. But then we're definitely going to get a big run on the corners. As far as the corners go, you got the guys that we know are at the top. We know Sauce Gardner. We know Stingley's going to go at the top. You know, McDuffie. After that, how, how much separates the talent as far as the drop-off? How not, big is the not, drop-off? Not a ton. I really think the top two is where the quote-unquote separator the yeah. is, okay. if it's a separator. I think when you start to throw in Booth, you throw in McDuffie, mm-hmm. uh, Booth from uh, Clemson, 
Um, you throw in Kyler Gordon, who yeah. I think a lot of people are sleeping on from okay. Washington. That's when we're starting to get in there. Dax Hill, as I said, people mm-hmm. have been calling him a safety through the whole process. I think a lot of teams are evaluating him as a corner okay. or as at least a nickel. So what does that mean to you, Candy? If there's a lot of depth at corner, do you go – I'm not going to say crazy because I do believe that you have to build at the corner, at the defensive end, at the offensive tackle. If you've got a top 10 pick and there's depth and you've got a second-round pick, do you wait on taking your corner? Because right now, clearly, Stingley – I'm not – you know what? Let me retract that. Nothing's clear because it's a lot of these could be smoke screens, but it feels like Sauce Gardner and Stingley are rising – they could be the guys that people want to jump up and get, and then others will get their request, their wish to go back. If that's the case and there's a lot of cornerback depth, do you spend an extra pick to move up and grab someone? I think it completely depends on the situation that you're in, Gofield. I don't know that you can paint that all with one broad brush because some teams go into this draft with a lot more draft capital than others. Our teams, the Giants and the Jets, have tons of picks that they can use to move around. But if you're the Raiders... You can't afford to be spending extra picks right now to move around. Raiders can't do that. The Raiders need to be able to take swings at certain positions like cornerback. Man, I would love to be the Texans, the Jets, the Giants. Not their like real-world situation because they're all pathetic, but where you are in the draft because you can set yourself up for a good draft this year and next if people are that gaga over cornerbacks or Jamison Williams. Man, just take advantage of the depth in the draft. Move back. Grab extra picks. Put yourself in a position, especially the Texans next year, when they're going to need a bunch of picks to compete with about four or five other teams to move up and get that quarterback if they don't totally stink this year and get to the one or two hole themselves. But the problem with that, Steve, is the first thing that Charles Davis talked about there. There ain't a quarterback to get people to move. Like if you want to trade back, someone's got to trade up. And no, that, nobody's that, excited about I, these quarterbacks. And that's why I brought it up. Cornerback right now seems to I know. be people are yeah. going crazy on Gardner and Stingley. If that gives you the chance to get out, move back, whatever, 10, 12 picks and get a second or a first down the road, you do it. Absolutely, but I don't think you're getting a first down the road to move up if no if they're not moving up for a QB as opposed yeah. to a CB. The Jeffrey Okuda tail is not that far away. I mentioned it earlier when we're talking about Detroit. And a guy who was seen as a lock who went at three, who had an awful first year and missed his whole second year injured. It's not a guarantee when you take that position at the top. So I think where Malik Willis goes and if people like Kenny Pickett more than we think they do is going to determine who gets the benefit of being able to trade back there. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, all the rest of them, Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus, one of the best quarterback evaluators out there and said, Every one of these guys would be my QB three in any other draft, mm-hmm. right? Because there would be two better prospects no matter what. And if you go to a quarterback class like last year with five going in the top 10, it might even be farther back than that. Up next, we hear from Stanford coach David Shaw, who gives his take on what the Raiders should be doing in this draft. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Good day to grab interviews from around Las Vegas. Uh, Q Myers was our guy on the scene down at Caesars around a lot of the draft analysts. David Shaw, the coach at Stanford, 
is working with NFL Network. He's done that in the past. He's doing it again. He talked about the Raiders. He's got a lot of familiarity with the Raiders and mentions here what he thinks the Raiders have right now and what they should do in the draft. You've got a premier quarterback. You've got a premier tight end. You've got a premier t- premier receiver. I think you've got a really good running back. I'm not if I'm ready to say he's premier, but he's a really right. good running yeah. back. So now you're looking for accents, and that's where you find accents, rounds three, four, five, six in particular. So you watch the Seattle Seahawks build dynasty off of third, third through fifth round draft picks, and now you're looking for guys that can come in and play. And just like we just said, this draft is deep with mm-hmm. good football players. As you get into the mid-rounds, you've got defensive tackles, you've got defen- defensive edge rushers, you've got linebackers, you've got secondary, you've got a really good group of second-level receivers that have a chance to come in and be that third receiver, that, et cetera. But um, I think there's, there's a lot of players in those mid-rounds that can help. Talking right now with Coach David Shaw here at Caesars Palace, getting prepared for the NFL draft coming up uh, tomorrow, starting here downtown Las Vegas. As far as just, you, we talked about the depth, we talked about building the rosters. When you get to the third round, is it literally just best player available? That's the best approach to take. And I worked for the Raiders um, and the great Al Davis a right. long time ago. And there's always that combination of between the best player available and then if you have a need. Um, what you don't want to do early is take a need when there are great players there. Mm-hmm. So there's that balance and somebody in the room having that wherewithal to say, okay, we're not looking for a need here because there's a great player available. There's a, there's a guy that we had a second round grade on the drop to the third or fourth right. round. Like you've got to take that guy. Um, Ozzie Newsom when I was in Baltimore with Baltimore Ravens had a very similar philosophy and he was the one that says, I'm going to tell you where that line is, mm-hmm. right? We, we need a quarterback. We need a quarterback. Uh, there's one year we needed a quarterback and Terrell Suggs was, was there at 10. Right. We're taking Terrell Suggs. <laughs> like, stop the conversation. Yeah. We're taking a generational talent. We're taking a Pro Bowl player. We're taking a Hall of Fame player. We have to take this guy and we'll get a quarterback when we can get a quarterback. Um, so there is that mentality. For the most part, if shipping between a, a need and a best player available, typically you lean towards best player available. Interesting. One, Candy, that was David Shaw. Coach of Stanford, are the Raiders in a position to just take best player available uh, when they have a need at right tackle and it seems like they still have a need at cornerback? They have a need at left guard. They have something of a need at center. They have a need at right guard, and they have a need at right tackle. The only starter on that offensive line who is a sure thing is Colton Miller, and they liked what Andre James did down the stretch last year, but don't please, please do not try to tell me that you are going to take the shiny toys of Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and protect them with Brandon Parker and Jermaine Illuminor and Alex Leatherwood. That's the quickest way to blow this whole thing up. So as much as I am a best player available person when it comes to the draft, the Raiders cannot be agnostic when it comes to position in this draft because Free agency is pretty much done unless you think there's going to be a June 1st cut you don't know about at this point uh, that is going to help you. But I don't know that you're going to find anybody unless it's a cap thing that that emerges here. And I don't know what that would be that's going to help you at a place where you absolutely need it. Draft coverage wall to wall right here on Lotus Broadcasting. Uh, Much of it's going to be on Raider Nation Radio 920. You can hear uh, rounds one through seven all on r 920 starting at 3 o'clock on Thursday as uh, the biggest and the best uh, personalities right here on Lotus Broadcasting. We'll be bringing you all the coverage. JT the Brick, Eric Allen, Jason Fitz will provide the pre-draft show until 5 o'clock when the first pick goes down. Continues on r 920 on Friday with uh, JT, Eric Allen, and Q Meyer starting at 2 o'clock. 
first uh, pick of the second round goes at four o'clock and we'll have a post draft show immediately following the conclusion of day two. And then more action on Saturday morning from uh, Lotus folks like uh, Q Myers and Eddie Pascal as they give you the uh, skinny before day three with an 8 a.m. pre-draft show leading up to uh, the nine o'clock start to the day. So R&R 920 is the place to listen for all the great coverage. And we'll have live shows here as we're going to be out at Silver 7's tomorrow. And then we'll be watching the draft on Friday starting at 3 o'clock at Crazy Horse 3 where they're going to have uh, $25 buckets, uh, specials on multiple bottles, of course, hundreds of ladies there all weekend long. And you know with all the stars in town, Crazy Horse 3 is going to be hopping big time. So get out there. It's right on Russell across from Allegiant Stadium. Stick your hand in there, Dave. One more thing in the grab bag here, Candy, on Dave Cavill, the president of the A's. We were talking about his infantile Twitter stuff yesterday where he's going at it with a local radio host and trying to set up Twitter debates and weird bets and charity deals. And I I, I didn't even look today, um, but I think he's doing an appearance with the host we mentioned, Damon Bruce. I think that's tomorrow at 4 o'clock. We can't repeat enough. For Las Vegans and Nevadans who may be facing a situation where the A's are going to ask for public money, you should take some interest in the way the A's are operating right now on the field and off the field and on social media and how they're dealing with Oakland and the politicians there. And think to yourself, Candy, this is what we'd want. These are the guys we'd want to buy into Major League Baseball with. Let's use the two teams in town, Cofield, as an example. The Vegas Golden Knights have been run as a first-class organization. The Vegas Golden Knights have given fans, through the first four years, they've given them a winner. Mm-hmm. And they have given them as many shots at becoming a winner, signing big contracts, making big trades, going all in and saying, we're not going to put you through a rebuild. We are going to give you a winner right now. That is is a team that received zero dollars of public funding. Okay. Raiders, on the other hand, got $750 million. It's been mediocre, right? It's been mediocre results from the Raiders thus far. And give the Raiders a bit of a pass on year one when they weren't allowed to have fans in the building. It was a strange launch for the Raiders having to come into Vegas with nobody in the building in year one. If you look at the A's, and you see what's going on in Oakland right now, and you still want the A's to come here with the way the A's are treating their own fans after the Warriors left, after the Raiders left, and they slapped on that horrible building of theirs. Every banner you could find said, hashtag rooted in Oakland. (laughs) How rooted? Because it feels like a good stiff breeze will pull that tree right up out of... (laughs) the horrible area of Oakland where the Coliseum is. So are they rooted? Because it feels like to me they're not so rooted. They are trying to use Vegas as a tool. They are treating their fans terribly process. Vegas, how long have you lived here? Have you lived here long enough to remember when the Expos played us? Have you lived here long enough to remember when there were renderings of stadiums coming out and, oh, by the way, they ended up in Washington? Do you remember all that? Because we got played. If you buy what Dave Cavill is selling right now, if you buy what the A's are doing to their local fan base, you're a sucker. 
You are a straight-up sucker. Stick your hand in there, Dave. By the way, happy to announce that uh, the Reds could be well on their way to a 3-15 and record. They're down in the 6th of San Diego, 6-1. to You saw that the uh, the owner's son, who you remember on opening day, was like, where else are you going to go if you don't like what we're doing with the Reds and management? Where else are you going to go? We'll just move. Yeah, he uh, he came out the other day and apologized and said hey, he didn't exactly speak uh, to the point he wanted. Bruh, sorry, man. Damn it, it's already been done. You're, you're, getting crowd, you're getting crowds in Cincy, you know, now after opening day to the tune of eight and 10 and 12,000. This is what you wanted. Can't put it back in the bag. Ah. Does he know where they went, by the way? Yeah. He said that they, he said that they have nowhere to go. I, yeah. I assume that they've gone somewhere. They're not standing outside the stadium yeah. deciding whether or not they want to buy a ticket right now, right? They've yeah. decided to do anything else with their lives than spend their hard-earned money on a guy who, given a chance to apologize the first time, right, right, right. basically said, you're going to have to be more specific about what you want me to apologize for. So awesome. Brother, they're sitting in the Barca lounger at home, eating Skyline and uh, checking out Euphoria. Oh, God. Uh, well, if they're eating Skyline, they're not going to be in the Barca lounger for long. <laughs> they're they're going to be in the other lounger before too much time passes if they're eating Skyline. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You get one choice on this National Food Day. Will it be a gummy bear or will it be some prime rib? Okay. This is going to shock you. Team gummy bear. And I don't even like gummy bears. Really? I don't like prime rib. I've never liked prime rib. I want my steak to have some semblance of steakiness to it. I don't want it to look like it's the part of the cow where the, you know, the the plastic surgery went wrong. Like it just don't, I don't it doesn't look good to me. I, I don't mind a bloody steak, but prime rib has never been something I enjoy. Uh, the au jus, the chewiness, especially Are you really going to eat that? Really rare. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the way, my answer is both. I'm not turning down gummy bears. I love gummy bears. I love prime ribs. So both are getting done. Boom.